morning. So great to see you guys. And I'm sure that there are people on Zoom as well. Thank you for joining us this morning. Um, man, it's been a week. And, you know, like I said, I was like, listen, no, nobody wanted this week to be like this. And, but that's the week that we got. So we're all here. I'm so glad that we were able to be here, that we made it. Uh, we made it. <laughs> so everybody just sit and take a deep breath. <sighs> All right. Our series, um, as we're moving forward, is called The Way of the Cross. And last week, we were supposed to kick that off. Obviously, we couldn't do it. Um, we ended up being stuck in our houses and a lot of you guys without power. Um, but the idea of it and the heart of it was really that we would be journeying with Jesus through the last days of his life way to being crucified and it's it's based on um the the heart of the stations of the cross so if you guys have ever taken like a silent retreat or gone to mount angel abbey or any of those places um there would sometimes be this physical stations of the cross that you get to walk and it's basically an ancient practice of walking a path that calls us to make time and space to allow the unique events of jesus journey to the cross to speak to us and you would see kind of a picture or an engraving of um, that scene, and then you get to just actually physically walk this path to the, to the end when Jesus is crucified on the cross and then buried in the tomb. And so the, the beauty of that is sometimes we tend to sit in our pews and we just think in our heads these ideas and these events, but there's something that happens when we physically move with the scriptures and with our reflection that does something because God has created us not just our brains right like but also our spirits and our bodies and our physical selves and so if you ever have a chance to walk the stations of the cross we invite you to do that but we're also going to be creating a little bit of that in our sanctuary as well as we get closer and closer to Easter um, and so I don't know about you, but when I look at the scriptures, I usually put myself in the, in the place of the buffoon, right? Like in the person who is broken, in the disciple's shoes, like here's what not to do, you know, because they're the ones that are relatable. They're the ones that I'm like, I get why they would do that. I understand why they would say that. I can understand, you know, like that is my life, you know, and we tend to relate to them, you know, but Honestly, the invitation of the way of the cross and the stations of the cross is really that we would place ourselves in the shoes of Jesus and that we would be able to know that even as he is 100% God going through this experience, he was also 100% human. And that we would be able to say, oh, as I am walking in these footsteps that Jesus walked, what is the invitation for me? That not that we would just walk as God became man and that we would be forgiven of our sins, but that we would also become who he intended us to be. Amen? So that is the invitation of our, our series. And our hope and our prayer is that we would be, our hearts would be more prepared for Easter as it comes and into Lent, but also that we would be experiencing true life and wholeness and freedom in the process. So this morning, we're going to look at Matthew 26, and you can go ahead and read it along with me, or you can read it on the, um, um, on the PowerPoint up here. Um, and again, this is just one of the renditions of this 
story. And I think that as we're looking at these passages, a lot of us are going to be really familiar with it, right? Like we're like, oh, we've done this every year or like we've read this uh, like growing up or around Easter. And my invitation for us this morning is not that we would kind of turn our minds off because it's a familiar passage and we're like, we understand, we know what this is going to get to, but that we would stay alert because right before this is the Garden of Gethsemane and the disciples fell asleep three times, right? So right after that is where we are and the invitation and the warning and the t- is that there's going to be a temptation that we're going to fall asleep here. And also some of you guys might actually literally fall asleep because you guys have had a long week, but that we would stay alert and that we would be expectant of what God has to say for us this morning. All right. While he was still speaking, that's Jesus, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged the signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Now, because we are not physically doing the Stations of the Cross, I just want us to look at one of the paintings that was done of this passage. And I'm just going to read it one more time for us. Okay, And, and you know, as you're looking at the painting, look at the different details that might pop out to you, something that might stick out to you as I read it. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged the signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then will the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Now, like I said, right before this is the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus goes and he prays that God would remove the cup of suffering 
and the will that he is supposed to die on the cross, right? He knows exactly what's about to come. He knows what's going to happen. Now, just to create a little context, right? Jesus has been going into the temple. He's shown up on the scene and he's been teaching about this upside down kingdom where the people on the fringe, the people that the leaders in charge would say are sinners. And he's been saying, this kingdom is for you. And this upside down kingdom says, hey, you guys, the ones who are in society, the lowest pyramid in my kingdom, you are on top. You are the first. You are the priority. And it is those who are in power, those who use their power to get on top, those who say, well, it's just about doing the right things and having the right resources and being at the right place and knowing the right people that put us on top in society, you guys are on the bottom. And as the Jewish leaders hear his teachings that other people have welcomed and said, wow, this new teaching, finally, I see that there's a place for me in this relationship with God. Finally, I see that I am important and valuable to this God that has felt really far away and unreachable to me. The Jewish leaders are getting more and more agitated at Jesus. They're saying, I don't I don't like this Jesus. I don't like what he's teaching, and I don't like that people are going to follow him. I don't like the way that he makes us look. They didn't like that w women, sinners of their day, and those that were not supposed to be connected to Jesus and God's mercy were elevated and redeemed. They didn't like that he was gaining in popularity, and they were seen as irrelevant religious leaders who did not understand God's heart. And their agitation and jealousy eventually led to their desire to murder him and take him out of the picture altogether, all right? But these are chief priests. These are the guys that believe that they do the right thing, right? Like, they're like, hey, we follow the law. We're supposed to be, like, the good guys here. And so they didn't want to have people see them as the bad guys. And so they could have gone in the middle of the day while Jesus is teaching at the temple and arrest him, but they knew that that would create a riot. They knew that people wouldn't like what they were doing. Even if they didn't side with Jesus, they would be able to see like, hey, that's not okay. He's a rabbi. You're not supposed to treat him like that. You know, remember the Bible? And so they're like, no, that's not going to fly. We don't, we don't want to be seen as the bad guys. So we'll go at night. We'll go in the dark when nobody will see us doing this and they can't fight us. We'll go in secret, right? And we're going to find a guy on the inside that's going to lead us to him. Because they lacked the courage of conviction, they found a way through Jesus in the secrecy of night to arrest Jesus. And it was dark, right? Jewish families would be at home celebrating Passover. That's what was happening at that time. It was Passover right? So they would all be at home. They wouldn't be mulling around. And by the way, Passover is a celebration of the Jewish people where they celebrated um, uh, being passed over by the angel of death, right? They were about to leave. They were trying to escape from slavery in Egypt. And what the angel said to them was, go ahead and kill a sacrificial lamb and wipe its blood over your doorway so that the angel of death would pass by you and save you. So ironically, instead of celebrating Passover that night, the chief priests and the elders and their temple guards didn't celebrate Passover. They were waiting in the dark to capture the Lamb of God because they didn't like who he was saving. 
So they couldn't see who was Jesus because it was dark. They didn't want to bring a whole procession with them with like torches and stuff because they were afraid that Jesus was going to go and escape. And so they were like, hey, Judas, you tell us who Jesus is and then we'll seize him and we'll arrest him. And Judas, right? Judas, for 30 silver coins, goes and betrays his friend and rabbi. Externally, he shows love and respect in how he greets Jesus, right? He says, greetings, rabbi, calls him rabbi, gives him a kiss on the cheek. Ooh, we hate him, right? We hate people like that. We hate people that show something on the outside, show that, oh, they like you, they're all full of praise for you, and then in their hearts and in the back, they're like, I want you arrested, I want you taken down right? We hate people like that. We hate people that are like the chief priests and tax collectors uh, and the temple guards that are like, oh yeah, we're all nice. We're all like good to you in the temple. You know, we might have our differences. And then in the dark, they're like, we're coming with you at cl- with clubs and swords, right? We hate people like that. And yet I would, ima- I would imagine that Judas did not start his discipleship with Jesus thinking, I will betray you one day right? He didn't start that way. This was the worst version of himself, right? It was the worst version of himself that did it, was jealous, that was greedy, that ended up in a place that he originally decided didn't want to be um, when he first started. And Jesus knows this. Jesus knew, right, and prophesied that someone was going to betray him, knew that it was Jesus, I mean, knew that it was Judas, has known what Judas was up to, and yet he allows it. And while Matthew, the author, calls Judas betrayer, Jesus calls him friend. Jesus calls him friend even though he knew. He looked him in the eyes and knew exactly what he was up to. Right? He allows Judas to do this fake display of friendship. In fact, the, he does the ultimate act of betrayal, and it is so abhorrent that whether or not you're in the church or not, his, Judas' name is synonymous with traitor, right? We could be like, don't be a Judas. And everybody would know what that means. Can you imagine being remembered for the rest of like, eternity that you were the guy that was the betrayer and the traitor, that like, your name meant that, right? And yet Jesus thought, no one is ever beyond a point of redemption. You can still choose something different right now, Judas, and call some friend, Right? I think it is a theme in scripture and honestly in real life that we see people act one way in the daytime and another at night. Call you rabbi, act like your friends and there's respect, but treat you like the betrayer handing you over to the enemy while they get something for themselves. Right? We hate it and we have a word for it, hypocrisy. When I was telling Augie, my son, that I was preaching on Judas, he asked, am I like Judas? I hate Judas and his hypocrisy, his weakness, his selfishness that stops him from being a good friend and disciple. But yeah, we're all a little bit like Judas, aren't we? I can relate to ways that I have buckled under what is easy instead of what is right. I can think of times where I would rather look good than be a good friend. I can relate to how I betray my faith and my values because it's uncomfortable and it doesn't personally benefit me in a tangible way. But Jesus calls him friend even when Judas is at the worst version of himself, and he calls us friend, right? And in Jesus' eyes, no one is too far from redemption. 
Now, when you read this passage and you see this crisis and conflict about to happen, there's a normal human response you see on both sides, right? Fight or flight. Fight or flight, right? You see both examples, right? You see the guy cut off the guy's ear, right? For some reason, we all think it's Peter. It does not say in any of the Gospels that it's Peter, but it's probably a good guess because Peter is super impulsive and totally that would have been him, right? Um, and we see the flight. We see the disciples flee and say, well, no, this is too much, right? I've got to save myself. That is a normal human response. Which one are you? When there is a crisis and there is a conflict, who are you? Do you fight or do you flight? I know for me, I fight. I'm like, what? You got something to say to me? You want a piece of this? Right? Let's throw down right now. Let's do it. You know? I'm a fighter. I'll just go right at it. I just, I just go gangbusters on you. You know? And some of you guys are like that. Maybe not so aggressive, but you're a fighter. <laughs> you're like, let's, let's lean into it. Let's work it out. Let's figure it out, right? And others of you guys, you're like, ooh, I smell a conflict. Ooh, this seems very uncomfortable. I'm out, right? Like, I don't want anything to do with that. This, this seems too big. Ooh, drama. No thanks, right? And you're out of that room before anything even escalates. Which one are you? That is the human response. What way does Jesus choose? Fight or flight? I think the easy thing for us to do is to make everything black or white, right? Like there's two parts here. There's one or the other. Choose one, Jesus. And yet what we see often with Jesus and the way of the cross is that there, he finds a third way. He's like, I'm not going to fight and I'm not going to flee. There is a way of the cross that is the third way. And the question always for us is, what is that third way? And it is always really hard to find the third way because we have a natural human response. We're like, that feels like the good way, right? So we're going to take that way. And yet what Jesus does here, he does voluntary surrender. This dignity in who he is and holding to the truth. He does not allow their actions and their insecurity to dictate his identity. He does not have to defend or fight. He is secure in his relationship with God. He says here, right, that he knows that God gives him all authority. If he wanted to defend himself, he can call down 12 legions of angels. A legion is 1,000 warriors. I can call down 12,000 warriors to fight on my behalf, and you guys will all be decimated, right? Now, right before this, he is in the Garden of Gethsemane pleading and appealing to God that God would take away this, this path that he's about to go on. And God says no. But what does he also give? He gives an angel to minister to him. And I think sometimes for us, when we hear God say no, we feel like God is basically abandoning us. And yet God is saying, I will tell you no, but that does not mean that I am not with you and that I will not minister to you right? And in fact, if God said no there, then Jesus might say, and he doesn't really listen to my prayers. And if I appeal for something, God's not going to listen. And yet we don't see that with Jesus' response. He says, yeah, God might have said no, but he also ministered to me with an angel. And I know that if I appeal to him right now, he would send 12 legions of angels. 
So I am secure in my relationship with Jesus, even with no. I am secure in my relationship with God, even if all of you say that I'm blaspheming and I don't know who I am. That you're not, you're not the son of God. Let me tell you who you are. You are, you know, you are deluded. You think that you're a rabbi, but you deserve, you are a blasphemer and you deserve to die on the cross. And Jesus is like, I don't have to defend myself to you. I know exactly who I am and I know what God has called me to do. Jesus doesn't take God's no as his lack of love for him. He doesn't think, I don't matter to him. I have no sway over him, right? He doesn't have to prove anything to these guys. He doesn't have to show that he matters to God. And let's just be real. Voluntary surrender here was not surrender to them, right? Who's he surrendering to? He's surrendering to God, right? It says here, I could defend myself. I could totally, like, leave here, but I am surrendering myself to the will of the Father because this is what the scriptures have said and it will be fulfilled. The haters have no power over him when he is volunteering to go with them, right? He goes with them with us in mind, with a heart of love. Now, what does that look like for us, right? It's like, Jesus, that's Jesus, right? So like Jesus can do that kind of thing. Us, like, we'll be like Peter who cuts off the ear. We'll be like the disciples who flee, right? And yet, remember, the invitation of this series is that we would be like Jesus, right? And really, ultimately, not just this series, but in Scripture, when we read it, the invitation is like, how can we be more like Jesus, right? So a number of years ago, at the start of the Black Lives Matter movement, I was on a road trip with my sisters-in-law. I have four sisters-in-law, Birch's sisters. They're lovely, kind, welcoming people that have welcomed me into their family. And every two years, we take a sister's trip. Um, and I'm the only sister-in-law. So it's the four of them who all look alike, these beautiful white women and me, right? So the five of us, we go on our sister's trip. And I think I've complained to some of you guys about it before. They're all very athletic like Ironman triathlon athletic. And so every single one of these trips involves like some sort of athletic activity. Like, let's go mountain biking, or like, let's go like, you know, at least snowshoeing, which they're like, let's keep it low so that Vicky can join us. Like, let's just snowshoe, you know? Or, you know, we went wine tasting at Napa, and they were like, but let's do it on a bike, you know? And I was like, why? Why would you? Why would you even combine those things, right? So it's been like 18 years of this, and finally, I'm just like, listen, we all know who I am. Like, I don't want to do any of that. You guys go, and I'll make dinner for us, right? Like, how about that? And so that's who they are. They've always been like really, really lovely. And especially since I lost my sister about 11 years ago to cancer, um, they've really tried to be my sisters, you know? Anyway, so we're in the car, and, you know, they, most of them live up in Seattle, and they've been talking about how, like, all these protests have really, like, destroyed their city, right? It's brought on crime. They've, like, seen all these buildings, like, ruined, and, you know, like, some of them work in downtown, and they're like, it's just not safe for me to be walking around anymore, and, um, 
And I, I am sniffing this out, and I'm like, listen, I'm a fighter, but even I know. Like, I'm not going anywhere near that. I'd, I will stay silent in the back of the car. Don't worry about me. I'm not saying a word. I'm not entering into this conversation with you guys. Um, this just looks like it's got landmines all over the place, right? I'm learning to, like, not be so much of a fighter. Um, and so they're just asking, and they're asking, like, you know, um, questions that are they're, they're just curious they're like trying to figure out like what does it look like you know like to do this without ruining stuff and whatever right and i, I just think that there's got to be a better way and da, 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 da. and um and then at some point um they turned to me and they're like so what do you think vicky and I was like, oh, man, like, I, I can, like, keep silent, but at some point, I got to say something because now they're asking me, right? And I could just be like, oh, whatever, yeah, whatever you guys are saying. Or I could be like, yeah, I got I to gotta say what I think is true, right? So I start by explaining the context of Black Lives Matter and how the law protected people like us and not people like them. And at some point, it seems arbitrary that no matter what they do, it doesn't matter, right, that they're going to be punished, and try to be balanced and nuanced, but as I kept talking, I just became more and more upset, <laughs> and they were just sharing their perspective and asking questions, and for them, it was theoretical, and for me, it wasn't. It was personal. It felt personal, right, and suddenly, I felt like my identity and my value to them was the point of this conversation, do I matter to you? And, and, and do you think of me as a problem that needs to be fixed? Right? It turned from theoretical to like, this is about you and me now. Right? And I don't think that they knew that. And then as they saw it progress into this, suddenly my defensive list just turned it into silent awkwardness in the car. And we still had quite a ways to go to where we were supposed to go. Right? I tried fleeing and opting out, and it didn't work. I tried fighting. It didn't work. It just led to more isolation. And now I felt misunderstood and misrepresented by my words, my inadequate words. So what did I do? Did I check in and acknowledge these feelings and confess my own insecurity to God? To check, like, who am I? What is my identity here? What is my intention? Did I take a moment to be still and remember who I am? Nope. I just threw more words at it, right? I just felt like, you know what? I'm in a bad place. They're in a bad place. So I'm just going to throw words at this to explain myself, to defend myself even more so that I don't look like a really awful and mean and self-righteous person. And I'm just going to fumble along. And it just created more division and more defensiveness, right? Man, I just really wished that I could have wrapped this story up in a nice bow and be like, I did the right thing, guys. You know, like, it was a great conversation, and it led to, like, really good movement in our family, an honest conversation, and then we all were on the same page. But unfortunately, that was not the case, right? I did not choose the way of the cross. Now, I am not saying that we never speak up on what is true, what is our story, what matters. But when it gets tied up with power, with our identity, with whether or not our voice matters and our personhood is valued, then it gets warped. 
It gets warped, and it did that for me. I wish I could stand there and be able to say the truth and share my story without any of that, but I could. I couldn't, right? And what I communicated was not love, but self-righteous anger. And that day, my own stuff got mixed with my own good intentions, and it wasn't about Black Lives Mattering. It was about me being heard and being right. And somehow, I gave them power to decide that. I gave them power to decide. Yes. Okay, you're right, and you matter, and you're worth listening to. Who do we look to for our identity? What does it look like to be secure in God's will for us instead of just holding it out as a plate for somebody else to decide? He says to Peter or whoever that disciple is, "Those who take the sword will perish by the sword." Right. There's no way that this is going to turn out good, right? You cut off his ear. What's he going to do? Other people are going to retaliate, right? Like an eye for an eye. That's not going to work out here. It doesn't lead to life or resolution. And yet, look around, right? Our world politics, a response to attack. Heck, this upcoming elections and all the conflict that comes with it—the divisiveness, the self-righteous lines drawn, the defensive stance. An eye for an eye is not going to work, right? Jesus does not fight or flee because his identity and value is rooted in a father who knows him fully and loves him fiercely. And listen, the way of the cross is not an easy one, right? It is so much easier to fight or flee, but it is the only one that sets you free. You aren't tied to anyone's approval or disappointment. You aren't powerless to fear and to circumstances. It is the third way that gives you confidence and peace to do the hard thing, because the voice of the Father is the first and the last thing that resonates in this world. It is the one that matters, and you can safely surrender to that voice, knowing that He holds your life so tenderly in His hands. Now I know I brought up a can of worms. And I know that we have a number of differing opinions on all sorts of things in this church, and I know that we, as the church in America, have not displayed the third way. And I feel like, man, God is inviting us into a new way that we can be on both sides, on both like blue and red. And whatever opinions, and be able to speak in love of one another, and know that when we are having hard conversations, it's not about our identity and our value, and that God gets to dictate that. And when we do, that's when it just warps and becomes something so divisive and so broken, right? That's not what Jesus calls us to. And so I know some of you guys might be feeling a little uncomfortable right now, and that's okay. That's okay, because, like I said, the way of the cross is not a comfortable one, but it's the right one, right? And when Jesus does it, because it is out of love and not not out of protecting his own power, that is the way that he invites us into as well. And so this morning, I want us to just go ahead and have a little time of reflection before you have to go get your kids and enter into like noise and all that stuff again.、Um, Where in your life are you looking for someone else or something else to determine your value and worth? Where in your life are you saying, 
here's the, my plate. You, you get to determine, right? You get to tell me if I matter here. Whether or not you say, well done, or I want more, will say, am, am I failing here? Am I worth it here? Do I matter? And this morning, just what is one step you can take to invite God into that place? And listen, I know it's not a done deal, right? It's not like, oh, I invite God into this place and, you know, academics and how I do it in a class is never going to determine my value and my identity again. I will never have to be anxious about that again. How I do on my, you know, annual review at my work is never going to, you know, like determine how I feel about myself. But what is one step this morning that you can say, God, I want you in that place? And to be able to just reset and remember who we are. And so just for one minute, I want us to just sit quietly that you would have a heart-to-heart -heart with Jesus this morning. Okay? And then I'll go ahead and pray for us and close us. Father God, you love us so fiercely, and you hold us so tenderly. You know our hearts and our desires to be good and to have good intentions, to love and, and to trust you. And you hold us in the best version of ourselves, but you also know us at our worst version. And God, this morning we surrender to you all the things that you're doing, the will that you have for our lives, the call that you invite us into. And we say, man, God, I want to give that power back to you instead of all the things around me that say, yeah, I get to tell you who you are. I get to tell you whether or not you matter. God, we, we can be in this world, but we do not need the world to have the power over us to say these things. And so, God, we surrender to you. Would you help us to find the third way when it is so easy to just fight or flee. God, would you help us find the third way? Would you temper our hearts to trust you again and to know that who we are and whether or not we are valuable, um, you speak truth over us. We thank you. We thank you for this time together. We thank you that as, as community, we get to be practicing or working that out, and we get to be calling one another back to the truth. We pray this in your name. Amen.